Hello, this is Jim Wallace, and you're listening to The Soul of the Nation, a podcast about how our faith should shape our politics and not the other way around. This week, we continue our series on white Christian nationalism with journalist Jack Jenkins of Religion News Service joining us to talk about a story he recently wrote. In the story, Jack writes that Idaho offers a window at what actually trying to manifest a right-wing vision for a Christian America can look like and the power it can wield in state politics. The connections between the hyper-local and the national um, when it comes to conversations about Christian nationalism are things that we should pay attention to because North Idaho is just one piece of what is going to be, a, I think, a much broader national story where we're seeing pieces of this same story, maybe not with the particularities of North Idaho and the background of the American Redoubt, but similar versions of this are happening in other parts of the country as well. Jack Jenkins is a national reporter for Religion News Service, specializing in the intersection of religion and politics. Jack, thanks for joining us here today. Thanks so much for having me. I always like to talk to you and hear from you, so this is a great opportunity for us. One question I always like to ask my guests, and you can feel to take this and feel free any direction you want, but you have covered white Christian nationalism now for a while, at least a few years. So I wonder, how is your spirit today? How is your spirit as a journalist, a citizen, a person of faith? How is your spirit you know, it's. I appreciate the question. You know, we journalists, we kind of put our heads down and just kind of cover stories um, and, and kind of, you know, process it for ourselves later, as it were. And I think what's been interesting about covering religion and politics is that, you know, what is what is good for my beat is often not necessarily uh, enjoyable in the act of covering it. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, when, when I'm busy, you're looking into some um, unsettling aspects of you know the religious landscape and the political landscape, but at this point, I think what's really interesting about doing this kind of coverage is, and what I often uh, really enjoy about doing it, is that it does help enlighten uh, myself. Ideally, you know, other people who read the article about things that are going on in our our country, and that that often lifts my spirit because it helps me understand what's happening. Ideally, I help uh, you know as a journalist, I hope I reveal things for other people. So it's a you know, there's a, I think there's a lot of things going on at once. Well, as a subtitle for your good book uh, says, this is a the ongoing fight for the soul of the country. That's really what's at stake here, and the title of my podcast is Soul of a Nation. So. You center your, your new report on North Idaho, of all places, which you say offers an example of white Christian nationalists actually trying to mani- manifest this right-wing vision for a Christian America, what it can look like, and the power it can wield in state politics. So what's going on in Idaho right now, and why is it drawing white Christian nationalists? So to kind of answer that, I have to go back a little bit to to 2011 and arguably go back even further. I should note a lot of journalists and scholars have been kind of looking at this region for a while now because it's kind of known as a haven in various parts of the last few decades for extremism, right? So North Idaho went through a whole era a few decades ago of white nationalists and white supremacists setting up enclaves in that 
section of the country. And some of them were kind of pushed out and there was a whole you know, d- um, debate around that. But more recently, um, there's kind of been a more religious overtone that's been activated in this space. One of the more recent examples is that, that in 2011, a survivalist blogger by the name of James Wesley Rawls um, wrote a blog post in which he advertised this idea of what he called the American Redoubt. And it was like this 4,000 word you know, blog post kind of describing how he wanted to create this region, this safe haven in the American Northwest, specifically all of Idaho, all of Montana, all of Wyoming, and the eastern sections of Washington and Oregon. And he, he wanted to be conservative, but he also was very specific that he wanted Christianity, as he understands it, to be a central pillar of the societies. As he put it, I am a separatist, I'm a religious separatist. And he was he drew a delineation saying, I'm a separatist on religious lines, not racial ones. But it did kind of, it, it sparked this imagination in a very specific survivalist community um, across the country to kind of look into potentially moving to that region. Now, it's not entirely clear how many people actually moved out there because James Wesley Rawls you know, encouraged them to do so. But it was at least enough to kind of create this uh, small cottage industry of what were called redoubt realtors. And there's actually been a lot of coverage of these realtors and the work that they do, you know, kind of encouraging survivalists. And when I spoke to one of them, he explained, you know, particularly folks of a Christian persuasion who have moved out to this section of the country, but particularly North Idaho to kind of, you know, set up their own enclave, um, set up this vision for themselves that is deeply conservative and tied to a Christian identity. Now, that's kind of the the framework that, that something new entered into in the last three or four years, which is that the pandemic happened. And this phenomenon started to occur that, again, there's been some coverage of and less attention paid to the religious dynamics of it, which is that we saw this exodus of people, particularly conservatives from blue states, especially California in the West, moving to other parts of the country. And if you go to some of these websites that encourage people to leave these states, Idaho is often one of the first states they list. Part of the reason people started doing this was frustration over COVID policies, among other things. I should note, there's also a lot of other dynamics that are you know spurring people to move. You know, Housing prices in the Bay Area, for instance, are way higher than they are in, in uh, Boise. But when I talked to an expert about this, he said that over the last 10 years, this this analyst at the University of Idaho, he said one in four Idahoans didn't live there 10 years ago. And so the result has been this overhauling of you know people in, in other parts of Idaho, but in particularly North Idaho, seems that there is this push for deeply red conservative folks who often are espousing forms of Christian nationalism. Again, several other people have looked at this and, and examined it, but I went out there um, to kind of look at the dynamics of what it looked like on the ground and how this was impacting local politics. And it turns out it was having um, a pretty noticeable effect. You know, when I read your piece, I got thinking about a lot of other places we've covered and talked about where white Christian nationalism is, is growing, like the American South, obviously. But in those places, you have this battle for the soul going on because you got black churches and white churches and some of them are working together even in places like the mississippi delta where they're working together and trying to find their way forward and yet this area that you talk about is like 85 percent white and so that makes it pretty unique in terms of people are not moving into a place where there are any or many black churches or 
immigration doesn't sound like it's very high. So 85% whiteness of all this seems to be a pretty core factor. Yeah. And and I think it it was an interesting question that kind of animated my interest in all this because I'm from the American Southeast originally. I'm from South Carolina. And so for me, I was kind of reading, you know, the core vision for the American Redoubt. You know, you want this generally conservative Christian region where people are going to church regularly, what have you. And, and, you know, I I guess theoretically that would show up in um, local and state level laws, you know, kind of skewing conservative. And that region kind of already exists, like you noted, the American Southeast in many places. But So why aren't people moving there? And yeah, there does seem to be this overwhelming um, population that's moving out there is overwhelmingly white. And, you know, in some instances, this Christian nationalism, you know, while James Wesley Rawls kind of, you know, says he's not a racial separatist, there does certainly seem to be instances where the overlap between white nationalism and Christian nationalism has become overt. Um, There was an instance last year where in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, which is part in North Idaho, um, there was a Pride in the Park celebration, you know, a Pride celebration for LGBTQ people. And there, this movement started emerging within North Idaho to protest that event. So conservatives were planning to show up to protest that. And it caught fire among these right-wing groups nationally. And so you had people like Nick Fuentes, who's head of American First, who's an overt white nationalist, encouraging people to go out there to protest. And he also identifies as a Christian nationalist. And the day of, there was this mass arrest that took place of uh, 30-odd members of the group Patriot Front, which is a white nationalist group, who were in the back of a U-Haul and police arrested them in mass, alleging that they were planning to riot at this event. Um, and two of those people who were arrested were actually had connections to a church um, right across the border there in Spokane, Washington, headed up by a former lawmaker in the state of Washington who'd been kicked out of his party because he had been accused of ties to domestic terrorism. But there were there were these faith affiliations there, too. And he's long been associated with the American Redoubt, Matt Shea, the pastor that's right across the border there. So we're seeing, and when I talked to some of the activists who were trying to push back against Christian nationalism in Idaho, they made mention of the fact that they, they see an overlap with some of the older legacy of white nationalism in this region and Christian nationalism that is you know becoming more ascendant. So a lot of white people, and therefore a lot of these uh, white militia groups, also a lot of guns in the area, right? Oh, yeah. And that's, you know, there's a, a lot of dialogue about the weapons being a, a key component of this uh, redoubt movement, for instance. You know, I think that it's a survivalist culture to begin with, and that's popular out West in general. And so it is part and parcel of this particular iteration of Christian nationalism that in addition to their vision for, you know, a Christian Idaho, there is also this, as they would describe it, ruthless support for the Second Amendment and just a lot of guns. So I, I just mentioned that instance in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I should note that uh, many of the people who showed up to protest that Pride in the Park event were armed. And, and that, that, was, that was a recurring theme at these sorts of instances out there. So you tell this uh, this uh, story about how in a church service, the altar church, apparently 15 candidates for state and local office were visiting the church and to connect their campaigns to their Christian faith. And uh, when uh, they were asked for a show of hands how many intended to vote for biblical values while in office, all 15 lifted their, their hands. So what are these white Christian nationalists what are the biblical values, as they would say, they're trying to legislate into office? 
This, I think, was a, a really interesting component of all of this that activists have had a lot of experience with, but has gotten less attention outside of the state, which is that you know some of these churches, particularly in North Idaho, but in other parts of the state as well, are holding these events for candidates. And you, you mentioned that there was those 15 candidates for they were for state and local offices, and all 15 lifted their hands saying that they would vote for biblical values when the pastor of that church instructed them. 12 of them went on to win their races. Admittedly, most of them functionally already had because they had won their Republican primaries. So some of them became, you know, newly elected members of the state house and the state senate. You know, they talked about opposition to drag queen shows, as they described it. And, you know, some of the first things they did when they got into office, some of the people who were on that stage, one pushed a bill just last month that would limit access to absentee ballots. Another one introduced a bill that would prohibit any instruction involving human sexuality or sexual orientation or gender identity before the fifth grade. And that second one, Ben Tews, um, who's a state senator, he actually was a founding incorporator of this group called the Idaho Family Policy Center, which is this new political group that's kind of emerged in the last two or three years in Idaho that's written a lot of very conservative legislation. For instance, one of the ones introduced just recently was a bill that would ban books depicting homosexuality at all from libraries, from public libraries. And the head of that organization actually describes himself as a Christian nationalist. And there's several other connections to other churches in the region as well. And so there's very clearly whether, you know, it's 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 de facto incorporation of this ideology into the political sphere in Idaho. So it's playing itself out, as you just said, in a number of ways, aiming at LGBTQ people. Uh, and so it's aimed at LGBTQ people and that conversation about sexuality. What are the other biblical values that you see them promoting or wanting to mobilize around, as they would call them, biblical values? What other policy pieces come up there? Well, obviously, a big one is abortion. And the the trigger law in um, Idaho um, that passed before, you know, they refer to these laws that were passed in expectation that Roe v. Wade would be overturned. You know, that, that happened a few years ago. Um, and you, you're often hearing deep antipathy towards any sort of abortion access in the state of Idaho. I should also mention that there are versions of Christian nationalism that take on very different tenors in this state. There are, there are multiple different varieties, right? Christian nationalism has several different Christian nationalisms within it. And there's a pastor in uh, Moscow, Idaho, which is kind of technically the southern tip of North Idaho, the northern tip of central Idaho, um, named Doug Wilson. And he's kind of become a sort of Christian nationalist influencer of sorts. He blurbed a book on Christian nationalism that was published by the head of Gab, which is this right wing alternative social media website co-written by somebody who graduated from a school that Doug Wilson helped found his publishing house. Doug Wilson's publishing house out of Moscow also published a book on Christian nationalism recently. When I spoke to him about, you know, what he would envision for a Christian nation. Ask him, you know, what about these Christians who are actually critical of you, um, other members of other denominations? And he used the example of a, a liberal Methodist bishop. And he said, oh, well, in my society, that person would be free to exercise their faith. They just couldn't hold office. <laughs> and then, you know, he in, when, in our dialogue, it, it kind of came up that there were similar laws in uh, the early co colonies in the American founding, like the Massachusetts Bay Colony. And when I pointed out to him that the Massachusetts Bay Colony actually hanged Quakers because they were 
refuse to recount their beliefs. He said, I won't defend the hanging of Quakers, but I do think that should be put in context. And so I, I say that because people with ties to his church and in churches that he has helped found are also on the board of that Idaho Family Policy Center that I mentioned earlier. And actually, they recently did a podcast with Doug Wilson. So, you know, whether or not that would show up in a, a law that they would try to propose, it remains to be seen. But that's the dialogue partners that are part of this kind of, you know, Christian nationalist resurgence res- um, in Idaho right now. As you know, a number of us are involved in uh, faith-based efforts to protect the vote in states where it's uh, in danger of being suppressed. And uh, Idaho's not on our list of key states. I guess there aren't very many votes of color to suppress in Idaho. Well, yes. But I, as mentioned earlier, one of the people who, um, Representative Joel Alfieri, who was on that stage at the altar church, who raised his hand saying he wanted to vote for biblical values, you know, shortly after when he was in the state house, he was pushing a bill, again, that would limit access to absentee ballots, which has become sort of a pet project of a lot of conservative lawmakers in different parts of the country. You write, your book is about but progressive... Christians, a growing movement around the country. Uh, I don't know how many Sojourners subscribers are in Idaho, but but you know how to find those kinds of Christians, like the bishop you talked about, Methodist in Idaho. How are they treated and how do they feel in a place like this where white Christian nationalism is becoming more and more the culture and also the politics. So uh, this is a really interesting question, and I, I was kind of fascinated by this, because the other subtext undergirding all of this is that Idaho is already a deeply red state, right? There's no shortage of conservative um, members for a Republican Party there. But there are, there are really, you know, fervent activists in the region. And when we're talking about the American Redoubt, we're not even just talking about Idaho. We're also talking about Montana, Wyoming, and eastern Washington and Oregon. Um, and one of the people I interviewed um, while doing, I, I wrote for a follow-up story on this, was actually the Episcopal Bishop of Spokane. And she, Bishop Gretchen Rayberg, she was actually, has been one of the most fervent uh, voices opposing Christian nationalism in the region. And, and I'll back up a little bit to say that, you know, one of the other people I spoke to for both of these stories was the mayor of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, who was a Republican. And he really expressed concern about basically this right wing shift in general within the Republican Party in the region, as well as this rise of Christian nationalism, which he found inconsistent with his own Catholic faith. When when Marjorie Taylor Greene actually came out and spoke, who's a you know self-described Christian nationalist, came out and spoke to the Kootenai County, which is the county that encompasses Coeur d'Alene um, Republican Committee. He was one of the people who, who decried that, said that, that you know, he was embarrassed by that, if I recall. But he was the one who told me about this bishop because he said the Reawaken America Tour, which is another traveling show of conservative speakers, and some of which have described themselves overtly as Christian nationalists. And the Christian nationalism is a recurring theme at these events. When they were going to come in to Post Falls, which is right next to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, he noticed that there were these faith leaders that were speaking out against Christian nationalism entering into the region. And one of them was this Episcopal bishop. And he actually went over to Spokane to meet with her because he was so impressed with her activism. And she kind of represents this broader push among you know these more liberal or progressive Christians, which is, again, relative distinction in North Idaho. But you know they, they held an event at the same time as the Reawaken America tour when they arrived in the city, protesting it and decrying Christian nationalism. She issued a um, firm statement about it. And she noted that in Moscow, Idaho, which is, again, the, the town where Doug Wilson, that pastor I mentioned earlier, 
where his church is. She and the Diocese of Spokane have been in active conversation, not only with the Episcopal leaders in the region, but other mainline Christians about how to counter um, you know, Christian nationalism in that space. And Moscow, Idaho is actually a, a blue dot in North Idaho. It's a university town. But as she noted, when members of Doug Wilson's church ran for local office. It was actually the local Episcopal priest who was pointing out that they were running for office to other locals, not endorsing or telling people who to vote for, but just noting that this was people who were emanating from this church where the pastor was kind of, you know, giving voice to Christian nationalism, among a bunch of other theological ideas that they oppose. So these other Christians like the bishop here, they must feel kind of isolated, but they're active, they're engaging, they're in dialogue and conversation about the theology of white Christian nationalism. They're having, they're engaged with with uh, these folks in Idaho. Absolutely. And apparently, not only publicly are they making these statements, but as the bishop explained to me, they're also having these conversations within their congregations, describing, you know, discussing what Christian nationalism means in that space. How to, you know, when people talk about white Christian nationalism, what does that look like and how do you respond to it? And she actually made the comparison that she grew up in Moscow, Idaho, and said that she remembers when the white nationalists and white supremacists, you know, came into the region, how people, you know, when she was growing up were pushing back against that and expressed hope that this new generation would have a similar surge of pushback against Christian nationalism as it expresses itself today. I'm curious, when you talk to this Republican mayor, let's throw a Republican mayor, Jim Hammond, his dismay about the tone of Christian nationalism and, and how he felt that it was inconsistent with his Catholic faith, how did he feel it was inconsistent? Why was it inconsistent with his Catholic faith as he understands his own faith? Yeah. So, I mean, for him, the it was an interesting point of dialogue, actually, because he was one of several people who there were two layers there. One was theologically, as a Catholic, he didn't like the idea of versions of Christian nationalism that were, you know, anti-Catholic, which absolutely existed. And he talked about how he attempted actually to try, when he first kind of heard about Christian nationalism in the in the region, what he explained to me is that he actually tried to organize, you know, some pastors in the, in the area to kind of push back against it. He thought it would be, as he described it, you know, kind of, it, w- it wouldn't be that difficult of a process to accrue this, but he didn't, that effort ended up failing. And in fact, he, as he put it, he, he found that some of the churches in the region were actually part of the problem. And he was deeply disappointed to find out that some of them faith leaders either in the region or um, faith leaders that that others in the region were echoing were kind of echoing this anti-Catholic sentiment. And for him, you know, it, it was inconsistent with, um, you know, for him, you know, caring for your neighbor and those sorts of like Matthew 25 elements um, was what he kind of described to me. And the other thing undergirding this that I found fascinating is that he kind of talked about North Idaho does have this sort of Western you know, survivalist mindset. But that's also a very much a live and let live mindset historically. It's the idea that, you know, leave me alone. And so not only did this Republican mayor express antipathy towards versions of Christian nationalism that would try to push one vision of Christianity on others, um, actually the Redoubt realtor that I spoke with um, was pretty clear that he also expressed frustration with the idea of one religious sect imposing 
their view on all others. Although he added a, a little caveat at the end by saying, well, now would we all get together and say, we're all Christians, let's fight the liberals? Well, then, you know, yeah, that was an idea that he could entertain. But I do think there is some conflict happening between that live and let live um, ideology in the region um, and Christian nationalism, in addition to folks who find it inconsistent with their faith. It's interesting, though, as you point out, the area was already very conservative and with a survivalist history and lots of guns before this. But the white Christian nationalism is coming in sort of on top of all that. And it sounds like there's some resistance to it even below on the conservative side or people of other faith traditions who also want their faith to be respected. Absolutely. In fact, that Republican mayor, Mayor Hammond, pointed out that there's another Republican group in North Idaho now, North Idaho Republicans, that is kind of meant to hold this more moderate space in the kind of Republican Party. And there's also this frustration um, among some people in the region that a lot of this movement is coming from people who just moved to the region. It's actually a fascinating dynamic um, when you look at uh, a lot of these events where there's like a public comment, whether that's a town council or county council or like a local library event, over and over and over again, something you'll hear and that that other people have pointed out as a dynamic of what's happening here. But I also will note that a lot of these people were using religious language when they would speak at these events. But many times they would openly admit, hey, I just moved here recently in the last year, in the last few weeks, right? And as one kind of put it, like, I don't want to see the values of California reflected in this state. I'm paraphrasing there. And so there is this sort of, you know, concern about folks who just moved in, kind of not only, you know, wanting to express themselves politically, but wanting to like, very much exercise this vision of Christian nationalism in a way where the locals aren't necessarily on board with it, the folks who had lived there for years, it's become so common, it was a joke, this didn't end up in either of my stories. But that person Twos, who I mentioned earlier, that state lawmaker, new state senator with ties to the Idaho Family Policy Center. Um, in one of his campaign events, he made this joke that he was, as he described, kind of a minority. And, and what he said, uh, because I'm a native Idahoan, raise your hand in this room at this Republican campaign event if you're a native Idahoan. And the camera didn't pan back. But what he said is like, see, we're a minority, implying that the majority of the people in the room weren't from there or hadn't, you know, were, were, were not born and raised in the state of Idaho. So that's clearly dynamic. That's painting a lot of what's happening in this section of the state. And I should mention, it's not unique to Idaho. Um, there was another article written in the New York Times recently that flags a similar dynamic occurring in Montana as well. And others have told me that there's uh, um, similar things happening in that general region where there are uh, um, conservatives move from blue states that are moving in. And as activists in Idaho told me, there's also a lot of people moving out. As this one activist, Alicia Abbott, um, who's a pro, um, pro-democracy activist in Idaho, told me, it's a very conservative population moving in and a very frightened population moving out. Um, and she mentioned you know, that that included LGBTQ people and people who felt who had been subject to violent threats because of their identity or their views in the state of Idaho. Yeah, as our listeners might not know, it, it takes a long time for people in Montana, Wyoming, Idaho to feel like somebody's been there, part of that. It takes a, sometimes generations for people to, to regard people as, oh yeah, they're from here. And these newcomers are bringing in all this stuff. That's a very interesting dynamic. I love your theological quote from Mayor Jim Hammond, damn it, it's not right. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And how he was embarrassed and very disappointed 
by what he's seeing. He's a Republican. He's a conservative on many issues. But this just doesn't feel right to him. Mm-hmm. And I heard that a lot when I was up there. So, I mean, it's, so it's simultaneously ascendant. But it's interesting where points of disagreement are coming from, because there are obviously people, you know, more liberal leaning um, denizens of Idaho who are uncomfortable with what is occurring. But there does seem to be some mounting discomfort among fellow conservatives, frankly, who feel that this is too much um, or too beyond what they understand conservatism to be. I'm curious, uh, as a, a journalist who has written about and knows the progressive religious world so, so well, uh, and I, I, I'm glad to hear they're, they're, they're engaging, not just feeling isolated and staying home at night and worried about their safety. They're engaging in dialogue and conversation, both in their congregations with people who have different views, I'm sure, and also with some of these leaders on the, on the right. So you're kind of an expert on this dialogue. Are they having, would you call it a, a serious faith dialogue, a theological dialogue? There's more than politics involved here. It's not just some of us are blue, some are red, some are Democrat, Republican, you know, for a lot of us, uh, you know, white Christian nationalism is a heresy. (laughs) Its name spells the heresy. It's white, it's Christian, meaning domination, not service. And it's nationalist when we have a global great commission from Jesus to go in all the world to make disciples. So we're not going to win this battle by just uh, partisan politics or Democrat, Republican uh, field organizing. So is there a you know that that dialogue well. Is that kind of conversation theological? What does the Bible say, and do we believe these texts? Is that taking place? So this, it, it certainly is taking place within these more, uh, like some of the, the, the folks I'm talking about in my follow-up piece where I talk about the bishop and what have you, they're definitely talking about this. But it is an open question as to how many faith partners they're going to find. And I think one of the things that, um, in talking to some other people of the region, an open question is what happens to, say, the evangelical pastor in the region who is deeply uncomfortable with all of this, but is worried about losing members of their congregation. I mean, we saw similar dynamics happen, you know, just in the Trump era in general, right, where certain pastors, particularly in conservative Christian spaces, might be uncomfortable with the rise of Trumpism and and Christian nationalism more broadly, but had difficulty articulating what that meant. So I am not personally aware of a whole lot of dialogue happening between say, the Episcopal bishop and some of these evangelical leaders. But that doesn't mean it isn't happening. I mean, one of the interesting things we found out as we got more distance from the Trump era is how difficult that um, was for for pastors in that position and particularly evangelical spaces. And so, you know, there have been this kind of a, a, a disproportionate amount of attention given to these churches in North Idaho that do kind of take this more stridently Christian nationalist view. And I will note that there is a much higher concentration of those kinds kinds of churches in that region than you're going to find in other parts of the country for reasons that we have discussed. But, you know, the fact that Jim Hammond is somebody who is voicing discomfort with this signals that there is likely to be, you know, if not other politicians who who voices discomfort, which he did say he's spoken to other politicians in the region um, for whom are just as he as he put it to me, who are just as concerned and frustrated as he is. You know, I do think that that signals there are more almost certainly some um, quiet conversations happening in conservative Christian circles about how to respond to all of this. Well, one more question that comes to mind as we talk, while there aren't many African-Americans in this part of the country, there are issues about the land and indigenous people and native people and the history of land being taken. Are those issues at all in conversation? Are there, and do indigenous people, uh, how are they reacting to uh, 
the tribes reacting to all this stuff uh, going on in what for them has been, you know, their lands. I mean, I, I, as as I'm paraphrasing here, but as one indigenous activist told me a, a long time ago, they've been fighting versions of Christian nationalism since European colonists arrived, right? Like Manifest Destiny was a pretty extreme uh, version of Christian nationalism, and, and it's, it's what has resulted in all of this. And I think that I didn't speak to indigenous activists in that while, while I was out there, um, but I have heard from uh, indigenous activists in other contexts that this is an old fight, as it were. And I think what's interesting that we have seen replicated in other parts of the country is that indigenous activists both are pushing back on Christian nationalism on their own in various parts of the country. In addition to that, they're often working in you know coalitions that we see with progressive faith leaders, liberal faith leaders, what have you, as this broader faith-based pushback, right? And, and I, again, I can't stress this enough, indigenous activists have been some of the first to decry Christian nationalism for centuries in addition to the contemporary era. But the dialogue there, there is absolutely one thing that comes out out West is, you know, the dialogue around race between white residents and indigenous residents also has a pretty uh, horrific history. And that also undergirds some of the concerns in the region as well. I was talking with Robbie Jones just this week, a mutual friend of ours, who was saying that this this battle about America's original sin isn't just national, but he sees it happening locally in the South, where you're from, South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, where he's from, and how churches are going back to their roots and understanding their history and what they did and didn't do. And now having conversations with black churches in their same communities and how this be becoming a local conversation and not just a national one, which I find very interesting. And you're talking about one local area where this conversation could be, uh, you know, very intense. Absolutely. One thing I would add, you know, I think what's really interesting about doing this story is that it kind of exposed a lot of different dynamics that are undergirding other things that we aren't necessarily paying attention to, right? So a bunch of journalists out in that region have been drawing attention to this sort of influx of conservatives out of blue states and how that might impact not only Idaho and Montana, but also states like Utah, also states like Arizona, New Mexico, and potentially states on the other part of the country. It's coming at the same time as we have um, Republican uh, political leaders like Ron DeSantis in Florida, who is actively advertising the state of Florida as a place for you know people fleeing blue states, and um, and he has also had no shortage of interactions with Christian nationalists and you know fusions of faith and politics in his states as well. So the dynamic that you know I think it's interesting to kind of continue to track how the overlap between these ideas could impact future elections by, you know, not only changing the politics of a state, but also just changing the demographics um, and the voting patterns of the people on the ground in these areas. And, you know, there are scholars like Bradley Onishi, who has been, you know, tracking this um, in other parts of the country as well. There are lots of journalists in Idaho and California who've been tracking the people moving out of that state and moving into this state. And I think all of this, particularly when you saw Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, appear in Coeur d'Alene speaking there, I think there's a reason that she that they you know um, wanted her to come there and why she felt comfortable being there and I think there's a reason that that um, event opened up with that pastor Tim Remington the same pastor who had lawmakers stand on his church stage and you know pledge to vote biblical values you know when he began that event he was revving up the crowd by saying if we put God back in Idaho then God will always protect 
Idaho. And I think the connections between the hyper-local and the national um, when it comes to conversations about Christian nationalism are things that we should pay attention to. Because North Idaho is just one piece of what is going to be, I think, a much broader national story where we're seeing pieces of this same story, maybe not with the particularities of North Idaho and the background of the American Redoubt, but similar versions of this are happening in other parts of the country as well. Well, Onishi, who you know teaches, as you know, at the University of San Francisco, talked about several of his evangelical friends who moved to Idaho in recent years. In his book, uh, he put a chapter in his book, and the book's called Preparing for War. Preparing for War, the Extremist History of White Christian Nationalism and What Comes Next. I mean, reflect on just the title of his book. Yeah, I think the... You know, the dynamics at play here, particularly when you're talking about North Idaho, and I, I talked to Anishi for the piece, and I'd cite a minute, um, and I cite that chapter. When we're talking about Christian nationalism, a lot of the inflection point that people point to is January 6th, right, which was a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol. And I think that, you know, this undercurrent of, of violence when it comes to discussions of Christian nationalism um, in the contemporary era is really important. I mean, one dynamic that I have tracked is that there have been people who are overt white nationalists who um, were some of the first to start IDing as Christian nationalists. You know, like we, we, I've been covering Christian nationalism by name since early 2017, but it was fairly unusual to have people describe themselves as Christian nationalists. But that kind of changed in the aftermath of January 6th, when we started having people just ID that way. And for me, what was notable was that so many of the ones who were self-IDing that way were extremists or um, or even politicians that have been accused of you know, uh, dialogue with extremism, like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who actually spoke at Nick Fuentes's conference, you know, that's again, the, the America first leader I mean, who, who is a pretty overtly white nationalist. She spoke at his conference in Florida and she literally, she later tried to distance herself from that. But, you know, it was only a few months later when she started describing herself as a Christian nationalist. So I just think that that undercurrent of potential violence and the idea of needing to save America potentially with violence is something that, that is unsettling about covering Christian nationalism at this point in American history. And one of the reasons I wanted to go out to Idaho after you know reading about this for um, several months, many of the dynamics that were in play out there. Well, uh, you're a great journalist, and this story shows that, that again. Maybe to finish off here, maybe re- reflect on the subtitle of, of your book. You invoke the language of the soul of this country, the soul of this nation, and uh, maybe not just as, as a reporter, who you've done that very well, well here, but just as a person of faith yourself, how, how is this battle for the soul of a nation going and what does your reporting tell you about that? Yeah, I, you know, it's 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 one of those things where I, I used I mean, that subheading. I, I I was using it even before Joe Biden started using it as his campaign slogan. So I just want to say we were using it first. But you know, I think it's an interesting element to talk about because obviously describing the soul of a nation is is a complicated thing to begin with. But I think what when I talk to you know, conservative activists and and progressive activists, you know, people of faith, they often appeal to this idea of this battle over the soul of what it means to be a country of how a country understands itself and what that country is at its core. And I think, you know, there's no shortage of examples in this era of, of major flashpoint events that have sparked conversations about, you know, is that what America 
should be. It's what we're being right now. Is that what we should be? And you know, particularly in the Trump era, when I was tracking a lot of these conservative groups as well as these you know liberal and progressive people, and activist groups, you know that dialogue between across a chasm of difference between these different groups ultimately was to me this sort of dialogue around um, the what it means to be American, and, and of course. Um, what it, it is, what the soul of the country should look like and how it should be fed, frankly. And so I think that dialogue is not getting quieter. Um, it is It continues unabated. Um, I think it looks different from year to year. I mean, I think it's interesting to compare the Christian nationalism that I'm covering in this story compared to the Christian nationalism that I covered back in 2017. There's, a, there's direct connections, but they also have evolved and look different and in some ways have many more precise expressions than they did back then. But that battle continues, and I don't expect it to get any quieter, particularly as we we move into an election year. The battle continues, and you're helping us see the issues at stake. So thank you so much for your work and for this time and time together. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. For more Soul of the Nation updates, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, and follow me on Twitter at Jim Wallace if you like. Blessings for the soul of the nation. Thank you all.